0: Now, the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, is already in full swing, featuring some of the world's most influential voices, until this Friday at least. But before it started on Tuesday, climate activists, some wearing koala costumes, set off on a three-day hike from Sunday towards where the more than 2,820 participants from 117 countries have been gathered for their annual meeting. Let's discuss the key takeaways so far with Professor Jean-Louis Arcand from the Department of International Economics at the Graduate Institute uh, based in Geneva. Thank you very much for taking the time. My pleasure. So the, the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum, Professor Klaus Schwab, said people are revolting against the economic elites they believed have betrayed them. Let's start with that statement and what you make of it.
1: Well, I think it's about time, WEF, that the World Economic Forum recognized this. The neighboring country here, Geneva, is entirely surrounded by France. And God knows, uh, in France, the revolt against the elites is in, is in full swing. They've been in the middle of, uh, of strikes for, uh, for, the, for the past several weeks. So it's, uh, it's actually kind of refreshing that the World Economic Forum is, uh, is actually uh, recognizing this. But it's pretty obvious to everyone, I think everywhere
0: across the globe. Speaking of the globe, we are focused on world leaders right now, and U.S. President Donald Trump has called climate activists prophets of doom. He himself might be referred to in very similar terms by those climate activists, which shows just how much of a dichotomy this has become. Uh, The U.S. is the world's biggest oil and gas producer. How does the message from Trump betray this year's theme at Davos?
1: I think that uh, most of the international community has probably got fairly used to the rather loose association with the uh, facts, be they alternative or uh, or actual facts of the the American president. So it doesn't—it's not exactly surprising that someone who's basically been in the middle of a re-election campaign for the past few months would say something like that. Not exactly surprising. And anyway, I mean, Trump sort of seems to seems to uh, get his jollies out of trying to run orthogonal to whatever anyone else says. So it's, it's, it's not much of a surprise. I don't think anyone expected him to do anything different in Davos.
0: Indeed. It just hammers home, perhaps, the challenge of, of finding even a common ground in dealing with climate change at, uh, it, at a period it, it's when it's people need it.
1: It's sort of depressing. I mean, because the, the, you know, the putative withdrawal of the U.S. from the, from the Paris Climate Agreement thank God the, the, the Chinese are still in there. But it really is uh, something which is of great concern internationally. And then when you add on to that, again, thinking in global terms, the current policies or well, the policies of the current Brazilian government, things do not look good when the U.S. and Brazil uh, are basically, in some sense, fighting against all of the scientific evidence which has been accumulating over the past. Well, now it's it's for it's almost half a century of evidence has been accumulated, I find this extremely depressing. I find it extremely depressing, and I think that, that most sort of common folk don't know where to turn anymore. If Davos, despite the fact that it is indeed a gathering of the world's uber-elite, uh, is able to, you know, set the compass or help set the compass in the right direction uh, in terms of the future, our future, and the future of our children and our children's children, Well, that's something that we can only applaud.
0: On the plus side, the effort toward good corporate practices among some of the world's biggest companies does seem to have taken root. We see this in all sorts of manifestations, both in ways to try to deal with financial corruption, but also this word sustainability, which crops up all the time. Has there been a shift, do you think, a paradigm shift among some of the world's most important business leaders, at least, if not some of the presidents of the world, towards sustainability?
1: Look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cynical, by definition, academic economist. Economists, or maybe my political science colleagues are even more cynical, but the economists are pretty cynical. To a large extent, a lot of this is is what used to fall under the heading of CSR, of corporate social responsibility, where you try to sort of regain your, your virginity in the, in, in the court of public opinion by doing good in some sense. It seems to me, again, sort of as, a, as an armchair political scientist, I'm an, uh, an economist, that a lot of the corporate world has woken up to the fact that they are becoming extremely unpopular if they don't at least pay lip service to the sustainability issue.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I say that because you go to some of these big corporations for meetings or, or whatever else and, and some of the small rules that they're keeping suggest a change in attitude uh, over, over everything from gift giving to practices which might be harmful to the environment. But but is your pessimism that perhaps those things are easy to enforce at the minute level but harder to actually take on at the the grand scale where it makes a huge difference?
1: Some of this is pure window dressing. That's absolutely obvious. But, you know, window dressing can turn into something substantive and then substantial if the pressure is maintained. You know, the shift from run-of-the-mill type capitalism that we see these days to uh, the current buzzword stakeholder capitalism, uh, from the cynical standpoint, you can say that that's just, uh, again, sort of corporate social responsibility and window dressing but on the other hand corporations are not stupid right and and a lot of corporations have sales figures, which are the equivalent of a lot of medium-sized countries. Mm-hmm. If the change doesn't start to take place in the large corporations, you know, it has to take place both at the national level in terms of national governments, and it also has to take place in terms of corporations, because these entities are as powerful as a lot of nation-states. The fact that the corporations are, are sort of waking up to the fact that their clients care about this sort of thing, that, on the other hand, is also just good business, right? If I'm a consumer and I have to choose between a corporation which violates the environment and a corporation which uh, protects the environment, uh, that is starting to matter. And then that's just good business.
0: So this theme for the forum this year is stakeholders for a cohesive and sustainable world. If we just break that down a little bit further, we've talked about sustainability. This idea of cohesion, is that trying to find a better balance of communication and and harmony amid trade wars and so on, or is it about well, communications? I
1: mean, the cohesion thing is sort of rich that the international community talks about cohesion. Again, talking as a as a development economist and a cynical one at that, When you look at uh, the Sustainable Development Goals, okay, so the SDGs, the number of indicators is huge, the number of goals is huge, and a lot of these goals are in contradiction, one with the other. So cohesion is a nice buzzword, but it's extremely difficult. Uh, Let me just take a concrete example. We want to reduce poverty. Well, we want to reduce poverty, but simultaneously, we want to uh, reduce uh, pollution okay, well, uh, to some extent, the SDGs which deal with poverty and pollution reduction are in contradiction. If you're a poor farmer in Burkina Faso, uh, and you're told that, yes, well, if we reduce your income by 10% of the emissions, or you stop using firewood to do your cooking, you're going to reduce deforestation, and you're going to reduce your emissions, that's all very fine. But a reduction of 10% in your income may mean the difference between life and death for your child. So to some extent, the cohesion argument is an argument that rich countries can make. And of course, rich countries from the international perspective should be the people who are paying for this. Uh, but a lot of rich countries are asking poor countries to make the sacrifices. So cohesion is costly, cohesion yeah. is costly and cohesion is costly for poor people. And a lot of these arguments are rich person arguments. And, and that, in some sense, that's the problem, right? I mean, because how many Americans are going to be willing, to, Americans, not just Americans, I mean, I happen to be Canadian. So how many Canadians or Americans or Koreans are going to be willing to give up the comforts of home if that's what it takes to reduce emissions? I don't think a lot of rich people, rich with respect to, you know, the, the poor people in the world, the bottom billion in the world, as my colleague Paul Collier would put it, How many people are actually willing to make those sacrifices? So cohesion is a nice word, but it's a costly word. Yeah,
0: it's interesting here in Korea, even the rich, once they step outside of their air filtered homes, will have to deal with the same air pollution as everyone else. And I I hope that level of discomfort prompts some change, if not um, some of the other issues. Maybe we can ask our listeners, how much sacrifice or discomfort would you be willing to sustain to uh, take? more affirmative action towards, say, renewable energy. Pound 1013 for 51 per message is how you can get in touch. Professor Jean-Louis Arcand, we're just about out of time, but I can hear you want to leave us with a final message.
1: No, it, it, it's just that there's a whole literature in economics which deals with willingness to pay. And So, you know, when you ask people, how much are you willing to pay to have cleaner air? And so people will give a number. And then you say, okay, well, we accept Visa, MasterCard, and American Express. And then suddenly the number becomes a lot smaller. Right. And that's the kind of difference.
0: Thank you. Uh, we do need realistic slash pessimism at the bottom end to sustain these solutions. There's that word, sustain again. Thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today.
1: My pleasure.
0: Professor Jean Louis Arcan from the Graduate Institute of International and Development Studies in Geneva.